We Saved You a Seat is a podcast sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. The Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special needs via emotional support, resource navigation, and ensuring quality health care for all children and their families through strong and effective family partnerships. Today, we have Ellie and Kara with us joining the Oklahoma Family Network podcast. My name is Ellie Pryor, and my family and I live in Woodward, Oklahoma. I have my husband, Adam, and a daughter, Elsie, who's three, and my son, Anderson, who's one. I teach pre-K here in Woodward. Hi, thanks for having me today. Um, my name is Kara Fluke, and I am married to my husband, Steve, and I have a daughter, Gordon, who is nine, and my son, Parker, who is affected by CMV, who is seven. I work for the State Department of Health and have been in public health for approximately 16 years. Um, Kara, can you um, actually tell us a little bit about what CMV is and for those that don't know? Yeah, so CMV stands for cytomegalovirus, which is a virus that is common in the environment um, and people can, of all ages um, and all demographics, can be exposed to the virus um, at any time in their life. Typically, by the time an individual is 40 years old, um, they have been exposed to the virus at some point in their life. Upwards of 80% of the population um, has been exposed by the time um, they're 40. However, if a pregnant woman is exposed to the virus for the first time while she is pregnant, then she has the risk of passing the virus to her unborn child. And if she does pass that virus to her unborn child, then there is the potential that the child will have, um, can be affected by the virus. Um, and the effects can range from a multitude of different things, ranging from being asymptomatic and having zero sign symptoms or effects, all the way to as severe as death, unfortunately. Okay, thank you. Um, Ellie, how... And what has brought you into this? And um, can you tell us a little bit about your story and um, with CMV? Yes. Uh, so my son, Anderson, who's one, is affected by CMV. I had echogenic bowel when I was pregnant. And so that kind of triggered us to go to the special specialist and see, you know, is there something else going on? And I, I during my pregnancy, everything still looks good except for that echogenic bowel. Um, I did all these tests, even for CMV, the torch screening, and for some reason that came back negative. Um, and then Anderson started growing small. Uh, he had a smaller head and in general just was smaller. But the specialist wasn't concerned still. Everything else looked great. Um, so we just continued on. I ended up doing some stress tests at the end of uh, my pregnancy. But otherwise, we, we thought we were in the clear once we got all those tests um, back negative. And so then he was born and he was born, he looked great, passed all that, he looked good, um, did not have the typical outward of what sometimes CMV looks like. Um, and Kara probably can explain more of that when, when she talks, but he had no outward symptoms. And so then that evening, I kept trying to hold him and breastfeed him and he just shook, he just continued to shake. And, my husband said, he's fine, you know, and I thought, he just keeps shaking. And so I called the nurses in several times. Finally, they took, took him out. And um, eventually the next day, doc my doctor came in and we said, we're, we're based on a thyroid level at that 
point, um, which we're very thankful for. We were sent to the NICU in um, Oklahoma City. And fast forward four days later, we finally got um, a positive CMV diagnosis. And so basically Anderson has what's called a neurophenotype. And so that's what a specialist we met um, for cytomegalovirus had, had called him, put him in that category. So outwardly, he didn't have any um, symptoms like a rash, but he showed the symptoms. He had some neuro, obviously, issues with the shaking, and then he, his MRI did show, show some um, differences, some abnormalities that we were, wouldn't want to see. And so that's kind of where, where our journey all began. Okay, Kara, can you um, tell me a little bit about how your journey began? Sure. So um, my pregnancy was actually unremarkable. Um, nothing um, atypical, nothing that was off. Um, really, it was just a very normal, healthy pregnancy. Um, I was very active throughout my pregnancy. And I ended up going into labor at about 36 weeks. Um, and when I went in uh, to the hospital, when I went into labor and delivery, I had lost a lot of amniotic fluid. And so they went ahead and started me on Pitocin. And then um, after they started me on Pitocin, they continued to bump the Pitocin up um, relatively quickly um, <clears throat> because of the loss of amniotic fluid. There was, a, there was Parker was starting to um, have a little bit of distress. And so Parker was born um, very fast labor. Once I actually went into active labor, it was very, very fast. Um, as a matter of fact, like they let the physician know and he was walking through the tunnel over um, to, the, to the floor. And by the time he got into the room, I was already crowning and Parker was being born. And so it was really, really fast. And when, the, when my doctor handed Parker to me, the very first thing that I said is what is wrong with him? And the reason that I said that is because he had petechiae or little blood spots um, from the very top of his head to his very purple, purple little feet. And he had severe bruising along his right side um, on his face. And really the physician just said, oh, you had a fast labor. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And his APGAR scores were good, even despite the bruising um, in the petechiae, his APGAR scores were seven and nine. And so they were good. And they put us on, um, in the regular floor room uh, and really we just thought everything was fine. And then he was born at uh, 2.30. And then that evening he started having issues keeping maintaining his body temperature. And so we started doing a lot of skin to skin um, to kind of keep that body temperature up. And um, as the day progressed, uh, the, the nurse really in the middle of the night just said, you know, he's looking very jaundiced. Let's go ahead and do a bilirubin um, test to find out what's going on with him. So we did the bilirubin test and his bilirubin um, at 18 hours of life was 13.9, which was really, really high. Um, and then also the pediatrician after doing her initial exam on him decided that she wanted to do a complete blood count. And we learned with that, that his platelets were very, very low, <coughs> excuse me. And at that point, we were transferred to Oklahoma City um, to the NICU where we spent nine days. And at four days old is when we were really we were able to figure out what was going on with him. And they told us that it was a, a viral infection and that it was CMV. 
and I had never heard of CMB despite working in public health for as many years as I had. Um, and so I didn't know the magnitude. All I knew at that point is that they said that they had confirmed CMB and that he had to be in isolation. So they moved him to a different, <coughs> excuse me, a different bay in the NICU. And we ended up having to do um, isolation precautions. So gown and glove anytime that we um, interacted with him from that point forward. Wow. Um, so it sounds like, you know, Kara, you said uh, when your son got his first diagnosis with um, CMV, that was the first time you heard about it. Ellie, is this the same with you? Was this the first time you heard about CMV? Yes. So I actually, I looking back at my, my medical records, I saw exactly a year before Anderson was born, I had been tested for CMV and uh, because I had a rash on my pregnant belly because I was pregnant with my daughter. They were pretty close together. And I had a rash on my, on my, on my stomach, on my pregnant belly, and I was tested for Lyme and CMV. And the conversation was never brought up um, about CMV, just that I was tested for it and I was negative. And so I went on my way. So when Anderson was born and he was, he was um, tested positive for CMV, I mean, really, that was the first time that I ever was really brought aware of what that word was. And we actually were in the room uh, and they, they were just going the rounds and they were just talking. We weren't really supposed, it wasn't like our conversation, but we overheard them say that he had tested positive for CMV. And so then we just, we basically went down to the cafeteria and did our whole, you know, looking online. And yeah, it was, it was very life altering at that moment. I just, I still remember that moment. They came in and said that he tested positive for CMV and basically we didn't have any conversation yet. And we just, we, our whole world just kind of was brought into shambles at that point. So you mentioned having a rash on your belly when you're pregnant. Is that a sign for CMV? Honestly, I, I really still don't know. Kara may be able to tell more about that if that's something or I mean, from what I've understood is it's pretty asymptomatic for, for mothers, um, but Kara probably can go into more detail. Yeah, typically if a otherwise healthy adult um, is exposed to CMV, uh, they won't experience any signs or symptoms. It is called um, and has the nickname of the uh, silent virus because typically you don't even know that you have a you do you even know you have it have been exposed or are um, <coughs> and you know that it has infected your body. There may be um, after that initial exposure. A healthy individual may experience um, flu-like symptoms, mono-like symptoms, maybe a sore throat or um, like flu-like symptoms, but typically that resolves and goes away within five to seven days. And it's really not anything that would be notable, um, probably wouldn't even go to your physician for it. And if you did, they would say probably you just have a virus, go home and rest and um you should be fine in a couple of days. Interesting. So after your um, babies were diagnosed with CMB, what were the next steps um, that you each had to take? And um, Kara, since you're already, you know, on the, since you're already discussing, can we start with you? What were the next steps and days ahead? Sure. So um, like I said, we spent nine days in the NICU. Mm -hmm. And when we were in the NICU, um, we were linked up with the Oklahoma Family Network. And um, at that time I got to meet another family who had been exposed to um, CMB um, by, their, by their child who was um, positive for CMB and affected by CMB. Um, 
and really we we started immediately once we were told um, you know one of the very first things that we asked the neurologist is what does this mean for our child and he told us he couldn't tell us he told us really I will, we won't be able to give you any sort of prognosis or anything until he's about three years old to see how the virus has impacted his development um, his organs as well as his brain and so um, after we were discharged from the NICU, we started um, with early intervention, Sooner Start, at six weeks old, and he began PT. <coughs> excuse me. You know, he began the physical therapy with the with the physical therapist every two weeks, and we did that really for the first year of his life. And Parker um, was very delayed on reaching his milestones. Um, he wasn't able to sit up. He had very poor head control. Um, and just everything was very delayed. Um, despite that, he was a very happy baby. He, um, you know, he was very loving and, you know, we didn't have lots of issues with him per se. Um, but we had start, we were doing physical therapy. You know, we, we were going to the neurologist, the ophthalmologist, um, the pediatrician. We had hearing exams every three months. Um, and really he was being watched very, very closely that first year of life. And then after his first birthday or at, at his first, his neurology appointment right after his first birthday, it was determined that he had cerebral palsy and that we needed to get him into um, additional therapy. And so at that point we got him into outpatient physical therapy, occupational therapy and speech therapy for feeding. Um, because one thing with Parker is Parker has always had um, trouble with swallowing and um and so we got him into feeding therapy or speech therapy for feeding and really from there our life has really been um therapy and encouraging and um trying to get him to be his best self um and achieve the the most that he can um with his abilities Ellie, how about you? What were your next steps and um, that has brought you up to date? Yeah, um, I think that's that's great. The Oklahoma Family Network is a huge resource that is, I feel like, underutilized. Um, actually, um, so I met um, a representative at the NICU and then I was able to talk to a family in the NICU, which was super, um, super helpful. But then Kara was that person that I talked on the phone to many, many times for very long times at hours, I feel like at a time, for sure, hours at a time. Um, and it's huge. I, I mean, people speak just to be able to talk to somebody who's been there as was very helpful. But so Anderson, as soon as he got his diagnosis, they wanted to start him on Valsite, which was an antiviral drug um, to kind of slow the virus. Um, he had hearing loss from the, from his newborn screening. He, he failed all of his hearing tests. And so they wanted to give him the Valsite to help prevent future hearing loss and also to better, better achieve outcomes. It's supposed to help with that as well. But um, basically the same as Kara, we had a quick early intervention meeting and started earlier in intervention at six weeks old with physical therapy and speech therapy and occupational therapy. And I mean, it was just like, we're, we're on it. We're, we're gonna be doing all the therapies we can because it's so so important to catch these babies when they're little and work with them when they're young and just try to do as much as you can that brain is amazing if you just keep working with it and helping those kids um when they're small so that was pretty much we were 
all in for we did the medicine the antiviral drug for actually typically six months we ended up doing 10 months um and then we just were full full throttle on early intervention so so when you talk about early intervention you know and you both seem like you had like the same kind of um you know pt and um therapists helping who guided you in that journey to go down that road and how did you know which direction to turn and when to turn it um there's a resource from the state called sooner start mm -hmm. and that was really our go-to and the people as a so i'm have an early childhood education background mm -hmm. and I, I wasn't even aware of how much and how important that resource is in our state. Um, I am forever grateful for, for them. So they, they guided me along the way. Who, who connected you with Sooner Start? Or who connected both of you guys with Sooner Start? So working in public health, um, Sooner Start is actually um, a, an initiative and a grant program through the Department of Education, but it's a cooperative grant that is offered through the County Health Department and the State Department of Health. And so I was fully aware of early intervention uh, prior to Parker being born. And then once I was exposed to it um, and that Parker needed uh, to receive additional therapies, we were connected just with the resource coordinator who I was already um, a professional colleague with and um, friends with who worked in the same building. And so um, that was just a very easy transition. Okay, so, you know, because my thought is, you know, you get this diagnosis and um, surely they don't let, you know, families leave the hospital without some sort of resources with this diagnosis. I feel like, yeah, the NICU probably, maybe that's where I was told a little bit about it. I'm sure it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the social worker at the NICU um, did a, like a parenting exit class or something like that and we got a book of information and it had you know it had information about Oklahoma Family Network it had information about um, early intervention it had information about DHS and other resources and so all of that information was really just kind of given to us in a in a folder in a booklet mm -hmm. and then from there you know we had to start that journey of seeking out the <coughs> The, the social services um, that would be beneficial for Parker yeah. and for our family. So, you know, you guys have brought us up to date. What, if you are, you know, we are talking to um, listeners that may have never heard about CMV or those families that have been impacted by CMV, but let's start with those that haven't. What would you want families to know that have never heard of CMV until now? Um, so, what I would want uh, families to know that don't know anything about CMV is if you are a woman of childbearing years and you are looking to get pregnant, to talk to your OB, talk to your um, physician about CMV, talk to um, your provider about what your risks are. You know, I was at a high risk because I was around, I had a daughter who was young who was in daycare and that is a risk factor. Um, and so talk to your provider and find out um, what your risks are, and then also whether or not you've been exposed to CMV before, um, because as I said, many individuals are exposed to the virus by the time they're 40 years old. Um, however, most women who are planning on having uh, families and who are having children are much younger than 40. Um, and so really my, you know, my call to action really would be know your risk 
and know the step the steps to prevent once you do become pregnant and really those steps are very very easy um, prevention measures which include effectively washing your hands for 15 to 20 seconds with hot soapy water not sharing utensils or cups or drinks um, to, or toothbrushes um, kissing your young child on the top of the head the forehead or the cheek so that there you minimize the saliva exchange and then after um, changing um, soiled diapers with urine um, to make sure that you're effectively washing your hands. And had I been told just about one, my risk and some very basic prevention measures, I probably would have done something differently in my pregnancy. Yeah. Ellie, how about you? What do you, would you like families yeah. to know? Absolutely. The same thing. I think it's as a, as a mom, when it, you first find out that it's potentially preventable, it's, it kind of gives you a punch in the gut. Um, cause my little girl was just one when I got, when I was pregnant with my son Anderson. And of course I, I can actually think back, like that's when you're, they're starting to feed you food, all of those cute things. And just, if I knew nine months of my life, I just needed to, to be very, very aware of that. And to not do that, of course she would make those changes. And so I just think we need to, as if someone else doesn't know about CMV and they're like in the childbearing age just to be very aware during your pregnancy, not to be sharing with your, your toddler or um, in any, any sort of form, just be very aware of your saliva or fluid um, exchanges. I think in very many cases that it would have been and could have been prevented in our cases as well. I think one of the things that I think about CMV is um, I just remember being told, you know, when I was pregnant, my son was 10, to not change diapers of other kids. Um, that was something that someone strongly told me, like, you should not be changing diapers of other kids, you know, and I think they mentioned like CMV. And, and so I remember that stuck with me because, you know, my, I had friends that had babies and if they needed their diaper change and I was pregnant, I'd be like, you know, um, I would prefer not to change your child's diaper while I'm pregnant. Um, so is that something good for even, you know, pregnant women that are around other babies to not be changing other diapers? Absolutely. Any opportunity to minimize exposure to bodily fluids um, is something that, you know, um, women who are pregnant need to be aware of. And um, specifically, and most importantly, women who are working in childcare facilities, you know, um, working in an infant room or a toddler room, you know, specifically where a, a young child is potty training and you are pregnant, making sure that you are being very, very cautious if you are going to be around those bodily fluids you know, <coughs> excuse me, potentially wear gloves. Um, but most importantly, every single time after that, really, truly effectively washing your hands, not a quick rinse, but truly effectively scrubbing your hands 15 to 20 seconds with that hot soapy water. And so on the flip side, you know, giving some wisdom to families that um, may, you know, have never been impacted or women that are in their childbearing years, what would you say to women and families that have just been told and given the news that their child has CMV? For, for brand new families that have been affected, I think to, to just take it a day at a time. Um, but at the same time, to be working from the very get-go on early intervention. I am a strong proponent. I, I have the background for early childhood development. So it, it's been like, when Anderson was born, I was full into research, what I could do to just 
do all we could um, during that critical brain development. Actually, I think the first nine months is, if you can look at a graph of the brain, it's crazy how many connections are being made those first nine months. And the first three years is a very critical period. And so to just make the most of those three years and just work hard with, with your child, but they are going to be, they're going to be great um, because you are the mom, you are the family and you will take great care of your child. How about you, Kara? Um, you know, I would have to say, um, first and foremost, take a breath um, because you're about to endeavor on a journey that you didn't ask to be on. But um, there are many joys and many successes uh, that you can see and find in your child despite um, the effects of the virus. Um, because I will tell you with Parker, one of the things that has completely um, changed in my world is just um, being able to appreciate the little things and the small successes and really celebrating the wins or those accomplishments. Um, you know, with um, my daughter, yeah, those accomplishments were big, but they, you know, they were celebrated and then we just kind of went on. But with Parker, every single um, milestone, every single accomplishment is huge because we know that there are unfortunately many children who have CMB who don't get those accomplishments. Um, and we are very fortunate that Parker is doing as well as he is doing. So, I mean, for a brand new family, most certainly um, know the resources that are available to you and take full advantage of the resources, reach out, find other families who have um, firsthand information because while your child's journey <coughs> won't be identical to any other child's journey, um, knowing and having that network and connection with other families who are experiencing or have potentially experience the same thing that you are going to experience is very helpful and very beneficial. Okay, those are great words of wisdom. Um, and you know, and before we end this conversation, uh, is there anything that you guys would like to add? I, I think every, every baby should be screened for CMV. And if you're listening to this, just ask for that test when your baby's born. Um, it's simple and probably pretty inexpensive, regardless, it's worth it um, because a lot of babies are asymptomatic and can down later down the road have hearing loss or other symptoms and i see that a lot um, when i'm looking through my mom cmb mom group and those are simple things if you did a test that you could be starting um, to make progress if you knew that your child had cmb early on and i'm thankful that anderson did have a diagnosis early that's great to know and i would i would echo what ellie is saying um you know i firmly believe that we should have universal screening um, and that it should be on the newborn screening panel. Um, I will tell you the National CMB Foundation has fought very hard to get uh, CMB added to the conditions that are screened for during no newborn screening. Unfortunately, that advisory board is currently on hold and there is no movement and hasn't been any movement in that, in that um, committee at the national level um, through the federal government for over a year. Um, but with that, definitely screening is so important. Um, there is saliva screening that can be done. So non-invasive screening that can give you just basic information. You know, one in 200 um, births are 
infected with CMV, and of those, um, one in eight will have long-term developmental um, impacts from CMV. And so it's just very important to have the screening and to know um, the potential that may exist if your child does come back positive. I thank you guys for your time and I thank you guys for your kids and I thank you guys for your service. And um, I've really enjoyed today's conversation and I'm so happy that we've connected in this way. And I look forward to future conversations and ways we can help our listeners and educate them and just provide more resources to families that are in need. Thank you guys. Yes, thanks for having us. We're very grateful for the Oklahoma Family Network as well. So thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource and health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or be in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network by visiting oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.